This episode of Market Foolery is brought to you by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Rocket Mortgage brings the mortgage process into the 21st century with a fast, easy, and completely online process. Check out Rocket Mortgage today at quickenloans.com/fool. It's Monday, November 21st. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Stock Advisor Canada, Taylor Muckerman, and from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser. Happy Monday. Gobble, yes, gobble. indeed. Yes, Thanksgiving week. Yes, sir. Are you excited? I am. You know, I'm excited. We got a got a turkey yesterday. My lovely wife went to the store, came back with a big fat turkey. Nice. It's in the fridge. We we'll firing that bad boy up on. Did you listen to Ron Gross's uh, uh, Thanksgiving tips last <laughs> week on Market Foolery? Because he provided some some tips on like brining and you know. Ron is a he's a library of information. He is certainly when it comes to both investing and the kitchen. Uh, we got a bunch of stuff going on here. I mean, I know I know earnings season is winding down, but uh, we're going to dip into the full mailbag. Merger Monday once again living up to its name. This time in the cybersecurity industry, Symantec is buying LifeLock in a deal worth two point three billion dollars. And I'm assuming this is a good deal, Jason, because LifeLock shares up fifteen percent. No surprise there, given the check that's being written. Shares of Symantec up a little more than three percent as well. Yeah, I think this is probably just as well for LifeLock investors. They've been looking um, for someone to buy. I, yeah, I, I think I think this this was one where I, I I don't know that the path forward for them was so clear cut. Um, and on paper, I mean, the idea is a winner because LifeLock's uh, forte is identity protection, and and this will bolster I think Symantec's uh, security portfolio in that regard. I mean, if you look at the actual opportunity there that LifeLock has been trying to tap into, it's blatantly obvious. And as technology continues to grow and become more and more uh, a part of our lives, I think this is only going to become more important. If you look at the just general market for identity protection, identity theft has been the most reported consumer complaint in the U.S. for the past 15 years, according to the FTC. And in 2015, there were about 13 million. Uh, identity theft victims in the U.S. and actually, I kind of figured that number would be a little bit higher, but maybe it's just one of those negative headlines that everybody kind of sees when it, when it when it comes out. But I mean, the bottom line is it it results in 15 billion plus dollars of fraud that that is just that's money wasted. That's money that it just evaporates. It doesn't it doesn't have to happen, and so that's what LifeLock does. This big argument for them is this ecosystem of products that they have, and it basically gets better the more people and the more you use it. So, there is a network effect there to a degree. It's essentially like a risk management system. And I think, really, that's what Symantec is interested in here, is the data that LifeLock has been able to collect up to this point. They have something in the neighborhood of 4.4, 4.5 million members or subscribers. And as that network grows, it can grow into uh, a a nice little competitive advantage. It reminds me a lot of a company that we covered uh, back in the day called Zoom, which was a, a remittance company that very much the advantage there was the risk management system they had in place to to allow for immediate money transfer. Uh, and so there is sort of that dynamic at play with with uh, with with LifeLock. Now the, the deal values it at around 32 times non-GAAP earnings, which I mean I wouldn't say that's a steal. It's something that Symantec can afford, but my bet is within a couple of years, we're going to see Symantec write down at least part of this um, because I don't think the company really is worth two, two and a half billion dollars. Wow, really? No, I don't. Um, and I think that uh, 
that's okay. I mean, you see that happen with acquisitions like this. I mean, it's not like they're buying. I, I think again, I think they're buying LifeLock because ultimately of the data that the company has been able to collect up to this point, and and I mean, these are the types of acquisitions where those little write-offs they 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 happen. I mean, look at Priceline and, and OpenTable. I mean, Priceline just wrote off about a billion dollars on that acquisition recently, so it happens. It's not anything that really uh, is is going to pose a problem. I think to Symantec at the end of the day, they have the balance sheet to deal with this. But um, yeah, I mean, they're they're. Moving forward with it. Let's move on to Tyson Foods. Shares falling 15% this morning after they missed big on their fourth quarter results. Uh, they missed on sales, they missed on profits. Uh, Taylor, their guidance uh, for 2017 was pretty disappointing. And in completely unrelated news, the company announced that CEO Donnie Smith is stepping <laughs> down at the end of the year. Yeah, it was unrelated. He's been there at the head for, uh, I think, about seven years now. And they're bringing in Tom Hayes, who came came to Tyson's in the Hillshire acquisition in 2014. He was their chief supply chain officer, and uh, now he's going to be the CEO of, of Tyson's, picking up a company that's four straight quarters of declining revenue year over year. So he's got some work to do. But uh, in his previous role with Tyson's, he was focused on international growth and the prepared foods, which is exactly. Wait, so was, was he at Tyson's before Hillshire, or we? You... No, but when he when they acquired Hillshire, then, oh, he, okay. then he came on as their chief commercial officer. That's it. So he's going from Tyson's chief commercial officer to now the the CEO. Um, then you have Donnie Smith still sticking around in the, one of those consultation roles for the next few years, but um, still still collecting a paycheck from Tyson's. Um, but when you talk about the results. Um, beef and poultry kind of carried the day. Ch- or beef and pork, um, chicken was way down on volumes and pricing. So that's the company or the the segment that really drives the business here. That's the biggest one, and it's down 10% uh, year over year in terms of sales. So they're focusing on more of these prepared foods, um, pre-marinated meats, um, pre-cooked food that you just have to reheat. Um, and I'm I'm worried for this company not only because you see these four quarters of declining revenue, but um, prices for their inputs of food are, are stabilized at pretty high levels. So uh, they've got some tough comps from last year. Next year they say that they're going to have flat sales, which nobody ever really likes to hear. Um, but I guess that is a kind of a trend reversal from what they've seen over the last four quarters of declining sales. Um, but I think the stock really had gotten ahead of itself, even with the decline today. It's still up 32% over the last year versus 5% for the S&P 500. So, uh, maybe another chance for some investors that missed the, that last huge ride for them over the last year or so to get in, because it, it's got a great free cash flow yield, and they're still generating growth on free cash flow, which you definitely like to see. Um, and it's creating a very strong balance sheet. Putting aside the fact that they got Tom Haynes from the Hillshire acquisition, mm-hmm. do they... Would it surprise you if, in the next few years, Tyson Foods looked to become more streamlined? If they look to, instead of acquiring growth, mm-hmm. they look to spin off? Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me at all. I mean, now you're talking about huge. They're the number one meat processor in the United States, and that. So, yeah, I could certainly see them maybe cutting cutting bait with the pork or beef or something. Chicken is still the lifeline for this company. Um, maybe they spin off a prepared foods line. I don't know, but yeah, I could certainly see that. Um, but the balance sheet is there if they wanted to get a little greedy and go buy somebody else. They do have that strength um, in the in the wing. Facebook announcing a stock buyback plan of up to six billion dollars. This is going to start in the first quarter of 2017. Shares up about three percent. You're not a fan, Jason. 
Um, no, I mean not really. Like I guess of I'm the not plan, gonna... not so much Facebook. Right? You're... No, no, no. Yeah, I, I think the I think the the company and the stock is certainly uh, it's, it's certainly a hard one to bet against. Um, but I, you know, it's interesting. I think this buyback plan perhaps. Um, it could be construed at least as a signal that the growth is slowing down, and they're trying to become a bit more of a mature company. And it's kind of weird to say that because they've only been public for like I don't know four years or something. Yeah. Um, but that, w- that but, was, by the way, that was the first thought that went through my head when I saw this news. Yeah. Where I thought, boy, that was fast. Wow, they grow up so fast. But yeah, <laughs> yeah like, it was a little bit like that. <laughs> and that was my reaction too. I think. Um, I mean, I, I I wonder. You know, there's that there's that sort of debate that's ongoing. Is Facebook a media company or is it a tech company? I mean, I think it can be both. I mean, I think it's hard to argue that it is not a media company to a degree because it is in social media, which is media, last I heard. But it is a tech company too. There's no question there. They're making bets beyond just the Facebook platform. And so I think they have a lot of different pokers in the fire. And it's a business that has a lot of sort of optionality going forward. And I think that Mark Zuckerberg has been very wise to make the acquisitions of of apps like Instagram splitting off Messenger, WhatsApp. I guess I'm still a little bit on the fence with though, because I mean it's it's about three years now. We've not seen any monetization there, and, and I mean I, I know everybody says no, just keep on wait, wait, wait. It's coming. Don't worry. And, and maybe it is, maybe it is. I'm sure. I mean they're very smart people there. But I think that when I look at this authorization, I mean I think it makes for a wonderful headline, and I think it's neat that they can tout it and say, hey, we're going to start buying back stock. But I mean the math. Shows it is relatively inconsequential. I mean, if you use today's prices and say they just executed all six billion dollars today, I mean, you're reducing the share count by less than two percent. So it's fairly meaningless where shareholders are concerned. And if you go just a step further, I mean, it wasn't. It was. It was back in in I get what it was a little bit more than two and a half years ago where they bought WhatsApp. And they issued a ton of stock to make that acquisition at significantly lower prices than the stock is now. Now you're telling me you're going out there and buying back stock. I don't know that that's necessarily the best use of your cash at this point in time. And 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 they don't have a Google-like or Alphabet-like balance sheet either. I mean, they have a great balance sheet, uh, something in the neighborhood of $26 billion in cash and short-term investments, but still. Um, this isn't the type of balance sheet that Alphabet has, which is about three times the size of Facebook's. Uh, so I, yeah, I mean, I feel like historically, most companies. I mean, the proof is out there. I, oh, yeah. I threw a chart out there on Twitter today that just shows going back through time, most companies get these share repurchases wrong. Um, I don't know that this necessarily tells me that Facebook is going to get it right, but I guess time will tell. Well, I think that, and everything you just said sort of backs this up, you look at their balance sheet, you look at the size of this, the way that they are couching it, this is up to $6 billion. This could end up being a $3 billion buyback. Yeah. And I think it is a way for them to essentially test their own ability to execute this type of move, so that, in Presumably, three years down the line, if not sooner, and their balance sheet has even more cash on it, then they can execute a buyback that's somewhere in the neighborhood of four, five, six percent of the stock. And I think that's a really good point. I'm glad you said that because it. I, I wanted to make sure I checked myself when I was reading this this news, reading the release and everything from the company. In that it is again, it's hard to 
it's easy to forget rather that this is a very very young company and so this a lot of this stuff is a learning process for them and and i'm sure that they will learn from this very process seemingly somewhat simple and that you're just announcing you're going to buy back stock but i think they're going to take away a lot of lessons from this and how to do it in the future and in sort of what is opportunistic versus what makes the most uh, sense in, in using the capital that they have at their disposal so see yeah, i'm very good point you made I did read a little bit of conjecture, probably um, suggesting that some of this could be bought back to then use it as compensation for some of their employees, rather than issuing shares to then give them to employees and dilute existing shareholders that are investing for the long term. Uh, maybe they're just buying these off the open market and then distributing them internally over the next year or two without having to to fund that through a share issuance. Yeah, and I mean, a lot of these companies are very well known for stock-based compensation. Mm-hmm. I mean, Facebook is not exempt from that. It's not a bad thing. It's a good no, thing, yeah, typically. Yeah. Um, I mean, you want to see them keep that sort of under control. And I think we've been very critical for uh, some time here of Twitter, certainly sort of not doing such a good job of that in the mm-hmm. beginning um, of, of its public life. Now, that number is trending much better for them as well. Hopefully, they get that uh, in check. It sounds like they will. But yeah, I mean, it's not to say that share-based compensation is bad. Um, all of these companies do it. And and repurchases help offset that dilution, yep. indeed. Before we dip into the full mailbag, going to say a word about Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. If you've ever bought a home, you already know, you already know what the mortgage process is like. It's no fun. It takes way too much time, and that's why Rocket Mortgage is around because it takes all of that time-consuming, complicated stuff out of the equation of applying for a mortgage. Rocket Mortgage makes it easy to share your bank statements and your pay stubs at the touch of a button, and you can get approved in minutes for a custom mortgage solution that's been tailored to your own financial situation. I watched a little bit of uh, Property Brothers over the weekend with one of my daughters, and uh, you know, among other things, on Property Brothers, you see, you see everyone dealing with their own financial situation. Uh, best part with Rocket Mortgage, you can do it all on your tablet or your phone. So, if you're one of those people who's actually looking to buy a home right now or refinance your mortgage before the end of the year, check out Rocket Mortgage today at quickenloans.com/fool. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states. NMLS ConsumerAccess.org number 3030. Our email address is marketfoolery@fool.com. From longtime listener Fergus Cullen in Dover, New Hampshire. He writes, I noticed transactions like this in the 13D filings highlighted in Barron's, where large shareholders in a company buy and sell significant numbers of shares during the same time period at different prices. Why do they do this? It would seem to me they would either be buyers increasing their position or sellers decreasing it, but not both at the same time. And he um, included a, a screen cap from Barron's. Um, and this is, I mean, this is just one example, but he's right. This happens all the time. This is uh, uh, an institutional investor buying and selling shares of SeaWorld Entertainment, and over, you know, from the time period of October 27th to November 10th, uh, buying at around $14 a share, um, and then over roughly the same time period, selling at between $15 and $17 a share. Um, I mean, this, among other things, when I read this, I thought, yeah, this this is why I'm glad I'm an individual <laughs> investor and just not dealing with the institutional game. Well, I think you're you you hit the nail on the head there, in that most of that stuff, most of that type of behavior is attributable to institutional investors, and I mean that's 
in its simplest form, I mean, investing is buy low and sell high, right? I mean, that's sort of the the, the point. Uh, but but when it comes to institutions, whether it's uh, you know small funds, big funds, I mean, whatever they they the one thing that we're critical of in in many cases is the turnover. In, in those funds. I mean, the they churn. tend to do a lot of buying and selling on a very frequent basis, which is a bit in the face of, of the strategies we, we tend to espouse here in, in sort of buying fundamentally good businesses and then just kind of hanging on to those shares for a long time. So, it's, it's hard to speak to one individual fund, but generally speaking, those funds are in the business of trying to make money. And in order to do to do that, they'll they'll undertake any kind of of strategy that they feel like will make the most sense, and that that honestly is one of the one of the, the easiest criticisms of those funds is the high turnover, which can add to uh, more frictional costs in in I was the just short run, say. and that can certainly ding the returns. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, and lest anyone forget. <laughs> They don't keep those costs free. themselves. No, 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 they're not. Yeah, that's they just, just a, slide them right on over to you, that's, the shareholder. Yep, the shareholder is the bag holder, and that's why we are always very um, critical of that style of investing. It's not to say that you can't own good funds. It's just be aware when you're looking at funds that you're buying into. Understand whether it has a load fee. Understand what. Other costs are attached. Look at the kind of turnover that the fund has to see you know, what style of investing are they undertaking. Because I mean, a lot of those guys out there buy and sell a lot on a daily basis, and it's really difficult to to beat the market over long periods of time with that kind of behavior. And then you got quarterly and annual rebalancing yep. and things like that that are mandated by which type of fund they're trying to or benchmark they're trying to keep up with. So and that could, when you look at a company like this, where they're buying in and out of SeaWorld. Maybe they cutting some of their losses at the end of the year and then buying back into a position that they liked. Um, so that could be something that's going on there as well. Yeah, and it's you know it's one thing to well we're gonna we're gonna sell out of these shares of this company. We're gonna we think we have a better use for our money over in this other company over here. The thing that always has me shaking my head is you know the comp- the funds that are trading in and out of a company or multiple companies that over a twelve month period are. Consistently on the rise, so a fund that is selling it. I mean, just to go back to Facebook as an example. I mean, if you're if you're a shareholder of a fund that has sold in and out of Facebook repeatedly over the last couple of years, it's perfectly legitimate to go to the fund and be like, "Why, you know, sure, absolutely." You, wouldn't you have just been better off from a tax standpoint? And that's a wonderful example. Those? I mean, if you go actually make that argument. To the fund manager, I mean, it, it is going to be a difficult question to answer, right? Because I mean, you're whether it's it's the frictional costs involved with opportunity cost or tax implications or just transaction, whatever it is, there are costs that come come with that type of behavior, and and ultimately the the shareholders are the ones that bear it. All right, Thanksgiving on Thursday. Besides the football. <laughs> What are you looking forward to? What's what's the thing, Taylor? I'll start with you. Your your Thanksgiving meal. What's the thing where you're like, this is I've been I've been waiting for this. My mom makes a really good spiked cider. Spiked cider. Yeah, you know, 
Looking what, forward to that. What, <laughs> I mean, I'm not asking to divulge <laughs> secrets, but yeah. what, what is it spiked with? Um, you got a little bit of just nothing too hardcore. Just a little bit of brandy in there, but uh, it does the does the trick. That Over sounds nice, like my kind of dessert. A, a nice warm apple pie. Yes, <laughs> I was going to say, given given what the wind chill factor has been in <laughs> our neck of the woods over the last 36 hours, Turned a little on a, dime. a little spiked cider it sounds good. What about Turned you, Jamie? On a dime. Well, uh, listeners may recall my love of peanut butter stuffing yes i've talked about that before and yeah it's it's really good now this is um, because i've always talked about peanut butter stuffing i'll I'll go ahead and and throw something new in here and this is probably a bit of the south carolina in me but um fried okra there you go i mean it's not something you see all all of the time with, with thanksgiving you hear about the turkey the stuffing the green bean casserole so i love all of those and but man if you can find okra in the store and and it's it's still out there i just made some this weekend chris uh you 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 know you slice it up and and it's it's very easy i'm not talking about breaded deep fried fried okra either i'm talking about just all you do is you take the okra you slice it up you have a hot hot skillet get that thing like medium high and just throw some olive oil in there salt and pepper to season the okra and you just throw it in there at a very high heat and you just you cook it until you start getting some good char on that okra and and Man, it comes out really, really crisp and fresh and tasty, and it's delicious with turkey. I think, I think, what about you? I think our next podcast is a food podcast. <laughs> okay. We're just, you know, between this and, and Ron. Uh, for me, pretty much all of it. I mean, I'm just because I, I was thinking about this the other day. The, the, you know, as you said, Jason, the, the turkey gravy, the stuffing, cranberry orange relish, all that sort of thing, those are all great. I don't. I don't really have those any other time of the <laughs> yeah, year. No. So it's it's almost like once a year. Um, and uh, one of my daughters is uh, starting to do a, a good amount of baking, a pie baking, uh, contributing to the family Thanksgiving. And I was thinking about this the other day. Uh, it's a good thing that she lives in my house because the last couple of years she's made these pies. And by the time I get through the dessert line, <laughs> they're gone. <laughs> those things are like. I, and I get other desserts, and they're fantastic. But it's like ah, I'm, I'm gonna have to have her just make that for me. You gotta cut a little wedge out there and just put it aside. Exactly. You know, exactly. Dessert first. Daddy's no touch. Yeah, no touching. All right, thanks for being here, guys, and mm-hmm. uh, safe travel. You too. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about in the Motley Fool. May have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's gonna do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hell. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.